How's everyone doing tonight? If you guys need them, on each one of the coffee tables, there are sheets made and pens, so you can keep track. You can take notes. We actually have little notepads. It's the big ones, and on the back of it, it's blank, so you can write notes, so you can keep track of it. All right. Tonight, we continue our series on happiness. Last week, you got to talk all about direction, and how direction affects our happiness to an extreme way in our life. We talked about how God's direction is so much more powerful than what we can possibly ask for. Tonight we're talking about something different, and uh, tonight is actually entitled... Does anyone remember? Do not hold us responsible for this man's death. That's correct. Some of you guys might be wondering... Good job. Some of you guys might be wondering, what does that have to do with happiness? What does do not hold us responsible for this man's death have to do with happiness? Well, it actually does. And I want to talk to you about that. If I could ask a few people, even in this room, and if I asked a broad spectrum of people um, throughout the world, um, when you ask people what makes you happy, one of their biggest and highest up on their list, the response is, is always friends. Amongst all different things, I, read, I went, went on the internet and I read a couple of things talking about what makes people happy. And almost without fail, in the top ten is always listed friends, maybe even a specific friend, my best friend. Uh, everyone has these, these relationships in their life. And usually this is rated on the top ten, if not the top five things that make people happy in their life. So friendship is obviously very important to most people for happiness. It's not just something passing by, but it's actually what makes you happy, what changes your outlook. So, not only do we represent that friendship is important, but the Bible does too. The Bible isn't very silent on this. It says a bunch of different times it talks about friendship, and that's what we're going to look at. Companionship, friendship, what this beautiful thing is supposed to mean. But I'm going to tell you, not all friendships are good. Not all friendships are good for you. And there are a lot of friendships out there that aren't going to make us happy whatsoever. So, tonight, what we're talking about, where this phrase come from, is from Jonah. And if you guys didn't notice, the whole series is based on Jonah and his life. If you guys want to turn to Jonah, you can go ahead, open up your Bibles, go ahead and flip to it. You can go right to Jonah 1, because that's where it all begins. So in Jonah 1, last week we talked about how Jonah took, and he decided to run away from God. God had a calling for him. Jonah ran 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. What happened? God sent up a mighty storm, shook the junk out of the boat that he was in. And uh, so this is where we kind of come upon the scene. What I want to start from is, um, I want to start from 3. We talked about Jonah's call in 1 and 2. And I want to start from three, and I want to read this to you. And uh, you just listen. Starting in three, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. 
Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your god. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Casting lots, for those, who do, those guys who don't know, is like usually like little stones or sticks, and they might have had it marked. Like They might have even wrote people's names down on it. And what they do is basically offer up God to tell them what, what it was, and they might pull one out, and they find out what it was. It's kind of a way that they'd have God decide and show them what was right. So maybe they wrote down names on a stick. Who knows what they did. But they cast lots, and they pull out Jonah's name. So they ask him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't before the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O Lord. You have, have, excuse me, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Wow. So this huge, huge storm kicks up, and the sailors are wigging out. They start praying to all their different gods, hoping that something's going to save them. Jonah's down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. And they tell him, what are you doing? You better call out to whoever you know to save us. Find out that Jonah's the one who did all this. And they end up throwing him into the ocean. It's a great picture of friendship, isn't it? And that's what we're going to kind of go along with tonight. Is looking at Jonah in this situation and taking from it in a very, very interesting and kind of artistic way how this represents our friendships. I want to start, let me tell you, there are a lot of poor friendships in this earth. I was just going to give you an example. There was a kid when I was younger, and when I was really young, we were kind of best friends. We spent a lot of time together during the summer, and even though we didn't really share that much in common, um, we hung out a ton. And after a while, um, the friendship was kind of a competition. Anything that I did, this kid had to do too. Um, if I wanted to do this, he wanted to do it as well. If I got this, he wanted to get one as well. I get a paintball gun, he gets a paintball gun. I get a drum set, he gets a drum set. All these different things. And at first it didn't really bother me, but then I realized the fact that it was kind of a competition in his mind. Because it wasn't just the fact that he got a drum set and he got a paintball gun, but then his comments were, oh, my paintball gun's better than yours. Your drum set... It sounds pretty good, but I got these extra symbols. Mine's better than yours, isn't it? I realized the fact that it wasn't because he's my friend. It was, it was a bad friendship. All he was doing was trying to compete with me because he wanted to be better than me. That wasn't a good friendship. He didn't really care about how I felt. It was more about making himself feel good, wasn't it? 
about taking what I had and trying to make himself feel better because he had something more than I did or, you know, it wasn't a good friendship at all. Actually, we're not that close till today. We kind of separated. There's another friend I had back starting when I was about 12 years old. And we started hanging out. We were in Boy Scouts together for the longest time. And this kid always had a problem with me. He, wouldn't, he wasn't mean to me. But for some reason, there was always this problem. And he was never really that nice to me. He was people who, like, you're kind of acquaintances with. But really, when you get to talk to them, you realize they really don't care for you that much. Like, when you really get to talk to them, you realize that. Like, um, I remember back when we were in high school, when I was running for um, vice president of student council. Um, like, he made a point of coming up to me and telling me, I didn't vote for you, by the way. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thank you very much. He's like, well, the other guy was just, he's a better candidate. And I'm like, all right, why are you telling me this? The only reason why he's telling me this is because he thinks he's going to get something out of this, like, makes him happy to be able to s- stick a knife in my back and turn it, to think that he did something that made me, uh, made me mad. And we really kind of had an interesting relationship. I remember this time, kind of a funny story. We're at Boy Scout camp, right? And when you're kind of not friends with somebody and you get forced to spending an entire week with them in hot camping conditions where all the things that make you comfortable are gone, you're sleeping on a hard ground and you're exhausted and tired and you have to work together around camp, you start to realize that your personalities just really start to just grind against each other. It's not fun anymore. So by about the end of the camp, we had really had it with each other. We didn't really even care for each other anymore. I remember we're walking down. We are going to go to the archery range. And me and him just kind of get into a little bit of a verbal scuffle back and forth, both kind of yelling at each other a little bit. He was saying something, and I said something back. And then it kind of got to where we kind of push each other a little bit. I'm like, all right, this is the way it's going to go, buddy boy. I'm going to drop you. So we kind of go back and forth. So after a little bit, you know, kind of messing back and forth, he really pushed me. So I'm like, all right, this is how it's going to go. I'm like, let's just do it. And he's like, all right, fine. So we got into this big old fight. We were rolling around and stuff like that. And the funniest part, the funniest part of the story is my classic move, if any of you guys have ever wrestled with me, is my chokehold. It's pretty wild. I've always been good at a chokehold. So I get this kid in the chokehold. I, I, I spun him around, and we're up, we're up here. And I got him in a chokehold like this, and I'm, I'm trying to strangle him pretty hard. And uh, he can't get out of it. He's trying to, trying to hit me and stuff like that. But he decides that what he's going to do is he's going to drop his weight and make me fall over on top of him so then we can continue to wrestle, right? Well, needless to say, I was a little bit bigger than this kid. He took and lifted all his weight up to drop, and I just held on to him by his neck. <laughs> and he just kind of hung there by my arm from his neck for a few seconds. And the tiff kind of scuffled out. We were both really, really hot, really red-faced. But we kind of got over it. But once again, to this day, we really aren't that good of friends. We kind of ended up separating after all that. I mean, we were still buddies through high school. We still hung out together, had class together, stuff. We weren't mean to each other, but never really got along. And there are people that I guess when you're in those situations, you'd actually call your friend, which seems weird, doesn't it? I call both those people, they're my friends. Both of us had problems, didn't really get along that well as far as I'm concerned. But there's a lot of friendships like that out there right now, and probably friendships in your own life that when you look at them, you realize that they're really maybe not that good and don't make you that happy, like those ones for me. How many times do you think in your life you guys can shout out a number. How many times do you think you've been subject to a bad friendship in your life? Can you even take a guess at that? What do you think? Anyone shout out a number? 
43. Beautiful number. 43 bad friendships. Has anyone had, how about close bad friendships? Have you had a few? Who can say like two or three? Four? Five? Wow, there's some people who had some really bad friendships. Ones where they really, you don't really think about them being that bad till it all kind of is said and done, isn't it? Then you look back and you're like, wow, that wasn't good at all. But really, there's a lot of them. And what I want to do is I want to look at specific instances in Jonah, in this story. You guys still have your Bibles open? That relate to the friendships that we see in our lives that really aren't that good. And the first one I want to give you this is the fact that this terrible storm kicks up, right? This horrible storm. All these sailors are freaking out, praying to their God, and where's Jonah? He's asleep. Man, if this isn't a beautiful picture for a lot of our bad friendships, I don't know what is. Okay? You know what this is? Is This is the doesn't really care, unaware friend. You guys had those before? The ones were really, um, they don't care about you that much, do they? And you really find this when you have these instances where you get to talk to them. It kind of reminded me of, um, you know, when you're talking on the phone, you're kind of talking, you're, you're telling them your problems, and you start to realize the fact that basically their ums are just in perfect syncopated rhythm. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It also, you know what really reminded me of is any of you guys, when you're younger, dating, you know, you had those kind of weird little crushes where you'd spend like eight hours a night on the phone with your boyfriend, girlfriend, you know that stuff? And I know I had a, I had a friend who said, talked about how um, he's talking to his girlfriend, and he realized the fact that she'd been sleeping for like 10, 15 minutes on the phone. It's kind of an unloving relationship there, isn't that? Those people who just kind of fall asleep on you. Man, what this is, the person who really um, doesn't care enough to listen to the hard times. Maybe they're your friends when times are good. But you see this when the storms got bad. Uh, Jonah was just asleep. He was just more concerned about being comfortable. He didn't really even think about what was going on. And maybe even more so when we look at Jonah specifically, he maybe didn't even know what the storm was going on. He just kind of slept through it. And that's the same way with these friends. Maybe it's not the fact that they don't care, but they really pay so little attention to you emotionally and so little attention to you that when something does go wrong, they don't even seem to notice. And that can be really hurtful as a friend, can't it? When they don't notice that kind of thing. Um, this is really the kind of person who oftentimes, they're the ones who call you and they do that, how are you doing? And they really don't want to hear the answer to that question whatsoever. They just want you to say okay, so then they can continue to talk. Um, they're apathetic. They don't make deep connections. And it's like talking to a brick wall a lot of times when you actually have a problem. Um, they're not there when you need them. And a perfect example of this in the Bible for you guys, those friends who are not there when you need them, kind of used in context, but very, once again, artistically, reminds me exactly of Luke 11. One of my favorite verses, but the parable that Jesus used is perfect. And it says, Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You would say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. He would call out to you from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and we are all in bed. I can't help you this time. But I tell you this, though he won't do it as a friend, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you what you want so his reputation won't be damaged. This is Jesus using this as a parable. And really, when I think about that, that's perfect for those people who really don't care, is it? 
you know? And those times, those midnight moments where something goes wrong and you want, you want them to just even just give you an ear, they just say, hey, the door's locked, I'm asleep. I can't help you this time. Those are a lot of times the friendships that we get with this. And um, these are really the kind of people, if you've ever had them, you talk to them, you tell them what you're thinking about and what your problem is, and immediately what happens? The conversation somehow shifts to what they're doing. And then you tell them again about, um, you know, this problem and how I'm, you know, still dealing with this. And then you hear about how their dog's sick. You wonder, how does this conversation just seem to be me talking and then just someone else telling me their problems constantly? You know, I have people like this in my life, too, where you can tell they'll listen to what I have to say, but that's really not the real reason they called. They called so they could tell me their problems, you know? And I try to be a good friend for them, but it's kind of hard when it's only that one-way street, isn't it? Not a real good friendship. When you think about those, it just kind of hurts when you get done. didn't really help you any. Not only that, but the next one I really see with this is the fact that Jonah put these guys in danger when he got on this boat, didn't he? He was a user, and there's a lot of friends out there who are users in your life. What I mean by this is um, that you have something that they're interested in, and that's really the primary reason why they're your friend. They're selfish people. They really don't care about you as much as they might let on. They might use you for stuff like self-affirmation, hence the friend I had first. Really didn't care about me. The whole idea was the fact that you could have someone to try to upstage. He was a user just because he wanted to be able to feel better. There's people who do the same thing with money, cars, uh, fun, your family, your friends. People will use you just because you have another friend that they wouldn't be friends with anyway, and they want to hang out with them, so they go through you, and they use you. They're really not your friend. They might use you to get to your significant other, if you guys have a relationship. People who do that, too. And then also, there's people who are your friends just because they want to get to your body. People who aren't really your friends. Uh, relationships across sexual boundaries there, that really the only reason why they're using you is because they're going to be nice to you, hoping that maybe it'll go too far. Same thing. Um, With this, Proverbs 19.4 gives a great example of this. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth makes many friends, but poverty drives them away. It's interesting, isn't it? You always hear about those people. People win the lottery, and what do you know? The next morning, they have like a thousand friends. Everyone calls them up, Congratulations, buddy! congratulations, you know I always liked you. I don't even know who this is. Excuse me? Oh, this is Bob. We went to second grade together, remember? You know, people find you instantly when you have money and they think they might be able to get something out of this friendship. They're just selfish people. Um, Not only that, but these kind of people, you really see the fact that they're not attached to the friendship whatsoever. They're attached to what you have. And as soon as you lose it, They dump you. You're no longer their friend. They're using you for money. You run out of money. They're using you for your family. You know, your family doesn't get along with them so well. They kind of dump you as a friend. It happens a lot. Um, Not only that, but they'll really hurt you emotionally and maybe even physically to get what they want. Uh, Both ways. Emotionally, use you, turn you away when you don't fit into their means. Uh, physically, same thing, like I said, use you for your body. People get raped because, you know what, you didn't fit into their, to their idea of what they wanted to get out of it. 
their selfish motive out of their friendship with you. And it happens. Not only that, but then the next thing I really see is that Jonah got picked up by these men and then just chucked into the water. And I know when we read it in the story, they really did try to row, and then this was kind of their last-ditch effort. But when I look at this, kind of the friends taking and picking up their friends and throwing them into the water, I really think of the people who are your friends, and then they turn their backs on you. And these are really common, too, in our life. These are the kind of people that really didn't care enough to make it through the hard times. They were there during the great times. As soon as it gets hard, they kind of just turn their back. Often, it's the found something better friends. They're friends with you until a better friend comes along. Not only that, but um, you might have thought about it, the fact that they might turn your back on them, but they're the kind of people who, they, do, they kind of fit into this whole first two thing too. They're the user, and then you might even see these things. What I mean by this is that people are always amazed by these people who turn your backs on them. It's kind of like the woman who cheats with a guy on her husband, and then the guy dumps his wife, goes with this friend, and then he cheats on her, and she's amazed. You know? Like, you might even be the kind of person who sees the fact that this person is, you know, a backstabber. But you're still friends with them, and you don't expect it to happen to you next time. Not only that, but especially, like in this case, the crowd. Oh, the crowd. That changes everything, doesn't it? Maybe the individual people are your friends, but like this, you get the whole group of guys, and as a crowd, they kind of turn on Jonah, and they say, you know what? Better off that we just pitch him into the water. You're friends with a specific person, but then when they get with their gang, they're really not your friends anymore. They turn their backs on you. And uh, oftentimes, man, especially for women, but guys also, this is where all the gossip comes in. All the gossip. Backstabbing verbally. Proverbs 16:28 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. A lot of times, this is really when you get to see it. They're nice to your face, and then as soon as you turn around, they laugh at you, they point fingers at you, they stab you in the back, verbally and emotionally. Make fun of you. Maybe all the secrets that you trusted in them, all the things that you thought were sacred between you and them in a friendship, they take and they spill out to everyone else to see. And they just kind of leave you out to dry. These are really people, when you look at these three different things, you look at people who don't really care, users, backstabbers. These people have changed your view on friends, I believe. That throughout life, when you get to have relationships with these people, each time they really hurt you, it kind of changed your view on a friend a little bit. It probably made you a little hard, kind of hurt your heart a little bit, might have made you a little more guarded. After a few of those relationships, you might not kind of let people in as easy as you did before. And they really do change you, and they change your perspective on friends. And I think they change you emotionally. What I mean by this is these are the kind of people that when they have all these bad friendships... We try to compensate as humans. What I mean by this is like we have 200 people who we call our best friends because no one's really close to us. No one really loves us. We've been hurt so many times that what we call is someone who we talk to once a week for a few minutes and they call you up and say, hey, what are you doing? Uh, I'm doing this. All right, sweet. Maybe we'll hang out sometime. They call those their friends because if you have 200 of those, it makes you feel better about yourself that I have a lot of friends. And even though they're shallow, it makes me feel good because, you know, it makes up for the fact that no one really knows me. Um, not only that, but people start to act like it doesn't hurt. People just kind of let it bounce off. Oh, you know, whatever. Friend kind of stabs him in the back, turns around. Oh, it's okay. But you know it's not okay. It hurts really deep. 
And a lot of times, too, what's really sad is the fact that people have this happen to them and then they turn around and do the same thing to someone else. That's what's really sad because it makes them feel better. Someone really hurts you, so whether consciously or subconsciously, you go out and you hurt someone else because it makes you feel better. You know? Not only that, but how about acting like you have friends that aren't really your friends? Let me tell you, it's, it's the brand new fad. Do you guys know what it is? MySpace. MySpace. I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to tell anybody what my feelings are. I can write a blog once a week, and I have 600 people who are my friends. Half of those are bands, I know. The other half, though, the 300 people, they're really my friends. I probably only really know half of those people, and maybe another half of those I haven't seen since grade school, middle school, but there's a few in there. And people just kind of use this as a comfort because they have a lot of friends and they live in the cyber world. Man, MySpace does this. People don't think they have to have real relationships. You know? It's this, it's this compensation that we do as humans to try to balance ourselves, to make ourselves feel better. And really what this all spells when you look at it is unhappiness. All that friendship pain is just unhappiness. Exactly what we're talking about. And I tell you this, if, like, 9 out of 10 people rank their friends as being their top 10 things that makes them happy, if there's all this pain, then probably wouldn't 9 out of 10 people rank friendship as being things that really hurt their feelings then too? With how many friendships end poorly? Then this has got to be one of, the, one of the biggest things that really hurt people's feelings and make them unhappy. We can infer that. So what I ask you to do tonight, which is really interesting, you stop for a second, and I want you to audit your friends. You guys know what an audit is, right? Like when the government, they take and they check out all your finances and they really go through everything and scrutinize and find out what it is. I ask you tonight to audit your friends. And what I mean by this is I want you to determine who they are. I want you to look at those first three topics especially. And I want you to take your friends and kind of slide them behind that glass to look at them and say, are these the kind of people? You know, you might start looking at your friends and realize, wow. You know, it's funny but I talk to them all the time and they never want to hear about my problems. You start to really see the fact of where they fit in. I ask you to audit them and look for these specific traits within your friends, those people who you call your friends. And ask yourself, do they really make me feel happy? Do they really make me feel like a friend when I'm around them? You know? If friends make you happy, do these people really actually make you happy? Or are they just users, backstabbers, and uh, uncaring? Ask yourself, is it a benefit to be their friend or is it really just a detriment in my life? Now, some of you guys, when you start doing this, and I encourage you guys, really actually go through your friends, list them out, look at them. Some of you guys really might start to notice that you might not have very many friends. Some of you guys might already know, maybe I don't have any friends. Really, when I look at it in this spectrum, when I look at them in this, I really don't have friends that make me feel loved, make me feel encouraged. I have users and I have backstabbers and I have friends like this, but I really don't have people who are my real friends. Some of you guys might have come here tonight already knowing that. There's people who walk around every day of their life thinking, I basically have no one in my life. You know, year after year, I've heard this study that pe they ask people how many people you can really just trust information to. Like, how many people could you tell anything to? And they said that year by year, it keeps on getting less and less. Where nowadays, maybe one and a lot of people, zero. Most people say, I have no one who I can share everything. 
all my darkest fears and secrets with. Most people have zero. That's amazing, isn't it? You have no one to share with. And what I tell you, why I tell you this, why I want you to audit is because if you say right now, I don't have any real friends, it's okay to say that. It's okay to realize the fact that you don't have any friends, but it's not okay to live that way. It's not okay to live without any friends. It's not going to work. In the Bible, man, they talk about friends. They talk about companionship and how important it is. It's not just something that we saw in the world, like I said, but the Bible backs us up. I want you guys to take, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4. I can't remember where Ecclesiastes is. Beautiful. All right, Ecclesiastes 4. And we're going to start in verse 7. And this is what it says. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. It says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And it says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Ecclesiastes, if I remember correctly, was written by Solomon to best thought by, uh, by scholars. It's written by a man who describes himself as very, very wise as a king, and they believe it's Solomon. So wise man. Take his words for what they are. And he talks all about here about how companionship is so very important. He talks about how two people can get more work done than each of them could separately. Do you understand that? How teamwork multiplies. It doesn't just add. It's not just two people's work. When you get together, you can do more. It talks about a few different things in here. It talks about comfort. It talks about uh, enjoyment. It talks about defense for themselves. And it shows this beautiful picture of what companionship is supposed to be and how important it is. It's not just something that's, you know, lightly taken, but this is something that we should all be looking at and thinking, wow, this is what I want. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What he's saying is that then two is great. Man, three is even cooler. You braid three people together, and you guys are really strong then. Not only that, but you see this throughout the Bible. In Adam and Eve, you know, way back when, Adam was there just chilling by himself in the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis 2.18, he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Then he gave him Eve. God understood the fact that we're not supposed to be alone. We're not supposed to just be shut off. We're supposed to have people who really actually know us. So here's the deal. To start with this, before we can start talking all about friends and where you're going to find them, not on MySpace, the first thing we've got to talk about is that you've got to fix yourself first. That's number one. Before you start looking for new friends because you realize that you might not have good ones, if I can give you a, worse, a verse, does anyone know what Matthew 7 3 through 5 says? It goes perfectly with what we're saying. That's why I have it in here. I wouldn't just put it in here for fun. Perfectly. Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says, And why worry about a speck in a friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log from your own eye, then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. 
So before we start talking about all of our friends and how bad they are, and we audit them, and we go to all of our friends, and we point at their faces, and we say, you break my heart. You have to look at yourself, and you have to realize, maybe some of the problem isn't just with my friends, but some of the problem's with me. Dang. Maybe you got a log in your eye. They got specs, but you got a log sitting up in that eye. Here's what I want to say. A lot of people talk about how no one likes them. And a lot of people have a really good reason why no one likes them. It's because of who they are. And I'm not trying to uh, rip on these people, but I'm saying these are the kind of people that you spend time with and you realize that they complain that no one likes them when they're really, really unlikable and they never try. They're rude people. It's no wonder that they don't have friends. They're mean. They snap at people. They're not nice to them. They don't give anything to a friendship. And they expect people to know all them, but they won't give anything back. They're people who complain that they have no friends, but they won't take any steps. They'll sit in a little corner. They come to church maybe, or they go to a place, and they just kind of hang out by themselves, and they won't really make any attempt. I don't know why no one likes me. You can't always expect everybody to come to you. So first look at yourself. Um... You have to open up yourself to change. If you want to look at this, this whole entire message so far, if this, is, if this is really touching you that you think maybe I don't have these good friendships, you have to open yourself up and you have to smash down your pride. You can no longer be prideful enough to think that I can't change. You have to be open enough to say the fact that maybe there is something that I can fix in my life. You have to be open and you have to get vulnerable. Vulnerability is scary, but it's vital to friendship. And really what this boils down to is being forgiving. Before you can find your new friends that are going to change your life, that are going to be important to you, what it's saying is the fact that you have to forgive your old friends. Those people like my friends, the ones who, you know, were users and abusers in my life. Before I can find people who fulfill me, I have to forgive them, and I have to get all that weight off of my heart and off my head. There's people who carry stuff around a lot harder than I do. Like, I kind of laugh at that stuff. There's people who have friends who have broken their hearts and years later, it still hurts them to think about how this friend mistreated them. And it really, really hangs on them. I'll tell you, this isn't just something that I'm making up, but once again, this is something that's biblical. In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, it says, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? He's being gracious here. Because in the Old Testament law, you understand the fact that they said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So if someone does me wrong and I come and I forgive them, should I forgive them seven times? Jesus says, no. You should forgive them 70 times, seven times. 70 X times, seven times. That's what he tells me you should forgive. What he's really saying is there shouldn't be any end to your forgiveness. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't take 70 times 7, try to add up, find how many that is, then take and apply it to your friends and say, you know what, you have two left, buddy boy. And after that, I don't have to forgive you anymore. What he's saying is the fact is that you're supposed to forgive unconditionally, just like Jesus forgave you. And that's exactly it. Matthew six fourteen. you know what it says? It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Not only is it just important, I'm saying like for your mental health, God says, you don't forgive people, I don't forgive you. I don't know if many people preach that. Do you hear that a lot? 
People always talk about you getting forgiveness. Do people tell you the fact that if you don't forgive people, you don't get forgiveness? That's what the Bible says. You have to let go of hurts in your own heart, and you have to free people from the debt they owe you so then God can free you of the debt that you owe him with your sin. In this also, um, the whole forgiveness thing, which is really cool, I like this stuff. In Greek, it's the word aphete, uh, afit. I don't know how to pronounce it. But I do know this, is that in the translation, what this means, if you could translate it better to English, it means to let go, dismiss, or to cancel a debt. Exactly like sin. It's not just to, like, say a word. It's to actually let go of it and let it be gone. To cancel a debt. So, with that, once you actually fix yourself, when you forgive other people, and when you try to get rid of these hurts, then you're actually ready where maybe it's time to find some new friends, some good friends, right? And that's really what I want to tell you, is that I'm not going to tell you that you can be happy without friends. That's not the idea. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the fact, and the world says even today, that friends are an important part of our healthy lives. They're important for our happiness. And you need people you can share with and who can share with you. What I ask you to do is to pause or to terminate, whichever you choose, your negative and non-existent friendships for a little while. And then to get real friendship in your life. And what this starts with is this. Before you start looking for friends, once again, you have to get one friend. What I mean by this is I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus is the very first friendship that you need in your life. And the most important thing, the very first step you need to really have fulfilled friendship in your life. Um, All your other friendships won't turn out right with him, without him in the center of them. And I really want to tell you guys that if you guys haven't known it, or people who are even listening to the podcast, whatever, Jesus is the most amazing friend you could ever imagine. You look at every trait that you want for a friend, and Jesus exemplifies and goes above and beyond every single one of them. If you guys want to turn to John 15, 13 is where we're going to start. And this is beautiful. 13, 14, and 15. Each one is a perfect representation of how amazing Jesus is as a friend. Really cool. Three verses that he said. And 13 starts. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Man, that's the, very mo- that's the most powerful one when I think of Jesus. He says that a man doesn't have a greater life than to give his own for his friend. Man, that's a perfect testament to what a friend is. Man, Jesus died on the cross for every single one of us. He proved the fact that he was a perfect friend by his own words. And when you think about that, someone willing to die for you, there's very few people when you think of right now, is there, that like your first thought is the fact, man, I'd give my life for them. It doesn't matter. I mean, I have family and I have friends. And, you know, maybe that's actually a pretty good, a pretty good way of judging a friend when you think about the fact that really right now, if it became down between me and them, I'd die so that they could live because I love them that much. Man, Jesus proved it. He didn't just say it. He walked it. He got walked up a, cross, walked up a hill, drug a cross up there, and got nailed to a cross and died a slow, painful death for you so that you can live. He proved his friendship. And in 14, he goes on and he says, You are my friends if you do what I command. 
this is pretty cool. Jesus says, I'm the most amazing friend you can ever have. And he says, and if you want to be my friend, you've got to follow what I say. This is exactly like our friends. Man, if you ask a friend to do something for you, and they turn around and spit in your face, don't do it. Or maybe they even tell you that they're going to do it, and then just walk away and don't do it. It's hurtful. It's not a good friend. not a real friend. So Jesus comes, and he dies on the cross, proving his friendship, because we couldn't do it. We're sinners, bound for hell, without Jesus Christ. And then he says, and if you want to be my friend now, you have to start living according to what I say. You can find that in the Bible. Read some of those red letters. Jesus talks all about what he wants you to do with your life. He talks about what he expected to do. Um, you read that and follow it. And Jesus says the fact that you're a friend of God. So you take and uh, you actually follow his teachings. Guess what? You're Jesus' friend. Awesome. And in 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. <sighs> you guys probably didn't know that there were three verses back to back right there that talk all about friendship when Jesus was speaking, did you? Isn't that amazing? What he's saying is the fact that I no longer call you a servant because you're my friend. Remember last week he talked all about direction? What he's saying is I don't hide stuff from you anymore. I don't expect you just to follow me blindly, but you're my friend. And I'm going to tell you how much I love you. And I'm going to tell you what's important in your life. You know, he's going to be a real friend that's back and forth with you. Not the ones who just, you know, wants to tell you all about his problems. He doesn't expect you to just keep on reading the Bible and hearing all about his story and then not listen to you. Jesus is a real friend. He says what he wants to is he wants to hear from you. And he wants to know your heart. He wants to be a real friend. And he says the fact that he won't share, I mean, he, he will continue to share everything that God's told him, right? He's always there, and really, I see this as the ultimate friend, okay? Not only because it's Jesus, of course, right? But this is the kid, when you were, when you were really young, I don't know if you guys had this, right? This was the kid with the really, really cool dad. The really cool dad. Did you guys have those friends? Did, and you guys have that friend? I was that friend. I'm sorry. My dad is amazing. And uh, I'm not being one bit cocky at this. My dad is an amazing guy. Extremely upbeat, right? I had friends, okay, who would come over to my house. And they'd say, is Cameron here? No. Well, is John here? They'd ask for my dad. Jesus is this amazing friend, and he's one of those awesome dad friendships. He's like the dad that you find out that the dad has like a boat, a jet ski, a hang glider. He has all these cool things. And then when you come over, he's the one who's all nice to you. And he's like, what's up, Tyke? And he wants to be all your friend. And he comes in and he wants to hang out with you and play Xbox with you. He's the cool dad. Jesus is this amazing friend. And he has the cool dad, too. He's the ultimate friend. Oh, he's so cool. It's funny. I know. Yeah, that's how my mind works. It's interesting. So I really ask you first to make this your very first friendship. This is the most important. Without that, I'm telling you, the other friendships aren't going to work right. Make Jesus your very first. He's done the most for you. If you want to compare it that way, who's done something for me? You know, what have you done for me lately? Dun, 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 dun. You remember that song? If you compare your friends to that, Jesus is like way up here, okay? Jesus did tons for you. He's a real friend. Then after you get that down, I ask you to then look for good friends. What I mean by this is, like I said, lots of bad friends. I ask you to look for good friends. And I want to give you some insight on this. Okay, this is what the Bible says. This is what I think. You guys can take this. You can expand on it. You can contract on it. Whatever you think. 
But here's what I say and what the Bible says. Don't argue with the Bible. You can argue with me, but not the Bible. Good friends, insight from the Bible. Look at Proverbs. Lots of stuff on friends in Proverbs. Really cool. The very first thing that I see is this, is I see the fact that a friend is caring and it is very real. And in Proverbs 17, 17, we see this. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So it says, you know, your, your brother you might beat on, get in a lot of fights with, but the friend is there because he loves you all the time. And here's what I say with this. This is the unconditional love friend. This is the exact opposite of what we had talked about with the person who isn't really caring. This is the kind of person that um, it doesn't matter how you come to them. If you come to them happy or you come to them sad, they're still your friend. If you call them up at 2 o'clock in the morning, don't expect them to be happy to talk to you. But guess what? They'll actually talk to you. And they actually want to hear your problems. They want to help. These are the kind of friends, too, that they'll actually try. Remember I told you about the person falling asleep on the phone? Right? These are the kind of people who... Uh, like I said, they might, not, they might not be happy to help, but they're going to help. They're actually going to say, you know, is there something I can actually do then? People who really care. Look for that in a friend. Look for people who actually want to know about you. Man, who really want to see you, you know? Not just the stuff, you know, a car, who you are, what you look like, but they actually want to see deep down into your soul. Look for that. Not only that, but they're very trustworthy. The Bible talks about this in Proverbs 27, 6. It says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What's it saying? He says that, man, when a friend hurts you, a real friend, not the fake friends like we talked about, but a real friend, you can actually trust that. And that's pretty interesting. These are the people who won't lie and stab you in the back. They might kind of stab you in the front. You know what I mean? They'll say something that really kind of hurts, but then when you go home and you think about it, you realize, where did this come from? Did it come from the fact that they were just trying to hurt my feelings? And you start to realize, maybe no, they were saying this because they care for me. And they didn't want me to do something stupid. It hurt, but it was, there was a reason for that. They're truthful, and they're accountable with this, too. These are the people that, they aren't going to be gossiping about you. They aren't going to just sugarcoat stuff, either. Like I said, you know, you ask them, their you know, what's your opinion on the situation? They're going to tell you the truth. They're not going to just try to lie to you or, you know, let you do your own thing. They're going to actually be your friends. These are the kind of people who are going to hold you accountable. We talk about that a lot, don't we? People who are actually going to keep you accountable to God, to yourself. Not only that, but a good friend is a good influence. A good influence. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Whoever walks with fools will suffer harm. This is the perfect, perfect thing. Moms all the time, right? All the time. Talk about, look at your friends. My mom, I believe it was my mom, always said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Perfect. You walk with the wise, you get wise. You walk with the fools and you're going to suffer harm. These are the kind of people who actually care about your soul. Let me tell you this. You can't be a friend with somebody without rubbing on each other and giving each other some traits, okay? When you really become a friend, you're going to both rub off on each other and give each other something. So here's what I say, is that you need to find a friend that you wouldn't mind becoming a little bit like. When you look at them, 
you say, you know what, I wouldn't mind having a few of those traits. I really like the person they are, and if I'm going to take some of those, it's going to be a good thing, not a bad thing. Pick someone that you don't mind becoming like. Think about that, really. I tell you this, with these three things, good friends are going to make you happier, not going to make you sadder, not going to give you more weight on your shoulders. They're going to make life easier. They're going to be people who really love you. And really, when I think about this, the first thing I thought about, if you guys have read the Bible a lot, maybe you think of it too, is the story of Jonathan and David. Do you guys remember that story? Jonathan was the son of Saul. And David was, you know, he was going to become king and all this stuff like this. And Saul really, he had a weird thing with, with David. It was a spiritual thing. He got mad and he tried to kill David, Jonathan's best friend. He said that Jonathan and David were just like inseparable. I mean, best friends, best friends. And Jonathan, time and time again, would go out of his way to keep David out of harm. Saul would get so angry that he'd tell Jonathan and, and all of his servants, you know what, all you guys go and kill David. And Jonathan would run out and he'd tell, he'd tell David, you guys, you have to get out of here. My dad's flipped out, he's going to kill you. And he'd go behind his dad's back even because he loved, he loved David so much that he wanted to take care of him. Not only that, but it's like, it was like a movie, right? He says, one last time, let's find out if my dad's going to do something or not. And he says, you go and you hide, you hide in the long grass, and I'm going to come out during the festival, and I'm going to shoot my bow. And if my dad's trying to get you, I'm going to call out to my servant who goes out to get the arrow. The arrow's beyond you. But if I call out the arrow's beside you, you know it's all good. You can come in. My dad's cool, and we'll all hang out together. And it goes through, and Saul absolutely loses it. They kind of set this stage where they say that David's not coming to this festival because he wanted to go back to his own family. Saul loses it and says, we're going to kill him. Jonathan, you kill him. Any of my servants, you kill him. And he goes out and he shoots the arrow and he says, you know, servant, it's beyond you. And uh, David springs up and he says, run, run, get out of here. And he calls his servant away and they say that Jonathan stops. He went to him and he says, with kisses and tears, he hugged David and he was broken. And they said David was just broken so hard that they both had to leave each other because they knew that he had to get, he had to get out of there before Saul got to him. I Man, that's a real friend. Willing to kind of put himself on the line with his dad, willing to do these things for him. And they said, man, when they had to separate, he was just full of tears. They said they w- didn't even want to let each other go because they loved each other so much. They were so good of friends. So if we want this type of friendship, you can't just find this anywhere. You're not going to find this just kicking around the street. You've got to look in the right place, like anything else. And if I can make this petition to you, I truly believe that the best place you're going to find friends is within your church family. Some of you guys who maybe don't have a church family, what I mean is people who are believers, people who actually think the same way that you do. If you say that Jesus is your friend, then you've got to find someone else who has Jesus as a friend. That's important. I tell you guys that are here, temptation teams, here in Steadfast, these are people who are really going to be your friends. These are people who share a common goal. Two people who are walking in different directions have a hard time talking to each other, don't they? But two people who are walking along the same path can keep on talking to each other back and forth. They can become friends. Find someone who's going in the same direction with you. You guys both hold on to the same ideas, the same um, character, and the same moral compassion in your hearts. You guys both agree on subjects that are important to you. Don't compromise with having a true friend. Not only that, but you need to find people who really care for you and who want to see you get closer to God. 
man, I want a friend who keeps on pushing me closer to God, not dragging me farther away. And I tell you this, when you find these friends, life is going to become happier. You compare them to these qualities that I've said, and you might very well find a friend that's true love. You might find someone who really, your whole life, you realize that you have this Jonathan-David friendship that it's not going to change, and it's so deep. And really, I, I tell you, this is why I tell you to look in the church, look in your friendship here in Christians, is because it says, Jesus said, I loved you first, now love each other. So with Jesus in your heart, that's when you can really be friends. So when you do find these friends, I think you're going to become happier. See about it. I really do, by what we said. And I tell you this as kind of a, an important thing to go with this. When you find these friends, let them know that they're your friends. Don't just use them, but let them know. And first of all, like I said, Jesus being your friend, let Jesus know every day that he's your friend. Let him know that you care for him. Let him know that you love him. And your friends here on earth, these people who you find, tell them that you care for them. Don't let it just go by the wayside. Remind them of the fact that we're real close friends. Remind them of the fact that you love them, you want them to see them, you want to see them get better, you want to see them do better in life. Remind them of the fact that you guys are close. Don't let a friendship just kind of fizzle out. Take and consistently remind people of how much you love them, how much they're your friends. Don't let it go unsaid. So everyone who might be facing unhappiness in life due to friendship problems right now, um, even when it seems like no one cares, and when people hurt you more than they can possibly help you, remember the fact that Jesus is your friend, first of all. And remember the fact that there are Christians, there are people who believe like you do, and elsewhere, who are ready to really be your friend. All right, I want to play with you guys. Jesus Christ, I thank you for tonight. I pray to you, God, that you would just change us. I pray to you, Lord, that you would uh, direct us, Jesus Christ, just to, um, first of all, Lord, audit our friends and find that these people maybe aren't really our friends. Lord, to, um, to find out when people are bad influences on us, when they really don't help us, they just hurt us. And I pray to you, God, that we can release these hurts in our, in our hearts, Lord God, that we can ask... Um, ask you, Lord, for forgiveness and know that we're forgiven because we've forgiven others as well. And I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you will just become my friend, Lord God, that each of us would just bring you into our hearts as the closest of friends, that we live for you, Lord, we would follow your commandments to prove that we are our friend to you. And I pray to you, Jesus, that you will provide friends to every single person, Lord God, that you're going to bring people to their life that really are friends, who care who want to know about them, who want to make them better. People who, when we rub off on each other, we're happy about that because we love who each other is. And I do pray to you, Jesus, that tonight, Lord, you would just change our mindset on friendship, and I pray to you that with that, Lord God, you would just make us happy. And it's in your precious name that I pray, Jesus. Amen.